to speak of you one of my favorite topics of all the topics in the Bible, the grace of God. I try to speak on this subject on a pretty regular basis. However, I look back at my notes, and I've not speak tr- purely on the grace of God since 2006. That's just too long. That's long, way too long to be that to be that uh, far away. But I, I have really had a great week in preparing and and going over this subject again. I'm encouraged. I did not mention the subject I was going to preach uh, to Branson, but that's that couldn't be a better song. I believe the Holy Spirit picked it. Can it be? When you leave here this morning, I want you to be saying, can it be? Can it be? Sometimes I need to, I think I just want to pinch myself to see if it's possible that I could be included in the kingdom of God. I know myself, and I know how unworthy I am in my performance. I know how bad my performance is. Yet, he's included me, and by the grace of God, included you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Remember, he has made us accepted in the beloved. I'm going to make a statement here that may, it rubs the cat the wrong way a little bit. But uh, we men, children of God, preachers, pastors, have created a thing of church membership. And I'm for church membership. I'm talking about official church membership. But let me say this. If you're born from above, you have been accepted in the beloved. And it don't get better than that. Member or no member. If you've been accepted in the beloved, you're accepted at Gospel Baptist Church. And you can... Sing in the choir, go door to door, help us in the bus, do whatever. Our acceptance is founded on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm going to go through some verses to substantiate what I've just said. Paul's methodology of teaching was he would go through the details of what he wanted to say, and then he would do a summation at the end of the chapter. If you read Paul, pick that up. And you read Paul the Apostle, he does this in a chapter like Romans 7. He'll do all the intricate argumentation. And then at the end, he he, he does a summation statement. That's a tremendous way of teaching. He he does it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a real complicated argumentation system. And then comes at the end of the chapter and he makes that two-verse summation. In case you may have missed or misunderstood what I've argued down through on the brother, here's the summation of it. That's what I'm going to do today. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 24, 25, 26, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And may I add the word period. That's it. That's how you get saved. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that means a covering, through the faith in his blood. That's it. That's how you get saved. Through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. Christ is not only just, but he is the justifier of them which believe in Jesus, which do what? Believe. Notice the words that are being used here. Faith, believe. Romans 5.9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood. The word justified, by the way, means declared not guilty of all the sins you've ever committed, period. You've been exonerated before a holy God. Wow, it's amazing. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Ephesians 1, 7 says it this way, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. First Peter says it this way, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1 through 1, 18, 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers all your works. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hebrews 10, verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, that's the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus. All I can say is, wow. The high priest got to enter into the holy of holies once a year, and that he could not go in without the blood of a lamb. It says, we, we have boldness. What? Boldness? Me? I have boldness to go to the holy of holies. On what merit? For the blood of the lamb. Faith in the blood of the lamb. Peter says again in 1 2, he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And notice foreknowledge. I believe in election, but according to foreknowledge. Through sanctification of the Spirit, under obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. We're accepted by the Father because we are in Christ, not by performance. Philippians, and you need to mark this one down, Philippians 3.9. Philippians 3.9. You want to mark that in your Bible, you want to, later on you want to meditate on this. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. When I stand before the Lord Jesus, I'm not going to say I was a pastor. I went to school. 
I memorized some scripture. I read the Bible through every year. I tried to be faithful in doing visitation. I'm going to say, not just like we sang in Rock of Asia, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. It's only that my acceptance in the beloved is by faith in what has been done for me in Jesus Christ when he shed his blood on the old rugged cross. Woo! Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith. How? By faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is reconciliation. This is doctrinal. Big, this is all chucked full of solid Bible doctrine. Reconciliation. When I sinned, I became alienated from God. And God, through Jesus, through my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ's blood on Calvary, he reconciled himself to me and me to him. Now I have peace with God. And he has peace with me. My, as a just judge, he couldn't take all the sin I ever did and just wash it away. It had to be paid for, honestly and justly. And Jesus did that. And when I believed in the Son, he said, I, I am willing to accept you now into the beloved. You are my beloved child. Not based on my performance, but based on a position that I have in the Lord Jesus. We have peace with God through a person, not performance. If we base our salvation on performance, we struggle with how much performance, how long of performance, and how hard do we try in our performance. And I know, I know and you know, that we fail after we get saved. How many here have never sinned after they've been saved? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Written what we call one of the greatest Christians ever walked the planet, Apostle Paul, in seventh chapter of the book of Romans. He's the one who said, I'm the chief of sinners. You're not the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I persecute the church. How could God ever include me in the beloved? That's because the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to even include the Apostle Paul. And it's good enough to include you if you'll trust in Jesus by faith. And it's with all your heart. You don't play around with God. It's with your heart. You mean it. After salvation, we fall. We sin, we struggle, but that's another subject. We sometimes walk in the flesh, and our fellowship with God is broken, and it needs to be restored, but my position is never broken and never needs to be restored. It's good forever based on what God has told me, and I know God cannot lie. My salvation is as good as the character of Almighty God. If it was based on my character, I'd be lost hopelessly. Hopelessly lost. 
You are born again. You people that have trusted Christ, repented and trusted Christ. Repentance toward God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said. It's been said a lot of ways, and I've talked about this on other messages. You've been born into the family of God. You're a child of God. You are resting this morning on the finished work of Jesus on Calvary. He said, to, he said to us, because I live, ye shall live also. And he's never going to die, so I'm going to live forever. Not because I deserve to, but because of the mercy of God that he reached way down for me. The child, you say, a child, a child can be, you know, a child of God sins, we sin. Some in Corinth, the, the city of Corinth in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, had sinned to the place of termination. God took their life, took them out. In 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, it says about the incestuous man there that did a wicked, wicked sin that even the Gentiles aren't known to do. He's, and here's what Paul said he, he about that individual. He said, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Now, that's as strong a statement as anywhere in the Bible that you rest in a position, not a performance. This man was doing evil. He was doing some incestuous relationships that even the Gentiles consider wrong. And yet Paul said, no, okay, deliver him, to, deliver him over to, to Satan, and Satan can destroy his body. He'll die. He'll be terminated so he can go to heaven. His spirit will go to heaven. How about those who abused communion? 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many are dead or sleep. How about Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5? They lied to the Holy Spirit and were disobedient and were killed outright, both of them. Sin causes fear and loss of relationship as a born-again believer, which is normal and natural, and if I may say, healthy. When you sin, because you, to be born again, when you put your, your trust in the Lord Jesus and his work on Calvary, God bursts you by bringing in the Holy Spirit. That's what the, that's what the whole, whole thing of being born from above is, being born again. The Holy Spirit now resides with me forever, according to John chapter 14. He's never going to be taken away from me. Even when I go to heaven, he's with me all the way forever. So God's with me by the grace of God. That's his choice, not mine. And so he's, he's going to stay with me. He's going to be with me. I can break fellowship, but he does not leave me. He does not leave me. Being grieved at the breaking of fellowship is healthy. That's healthy. It's good that when you sin, the Holy Spirit goes, eh, that's wrong. Sometimes I'll say something from the pulpit, and then the Holy Spirit will go, eh, that's wrong. You ever done that, preacher? I know you have. I bet you haven't done as much as I have. I said something sometimes in the flesh. I'm in the spirit. I go into the flesh. I just, you don't see the transfer. I say something stupid. Something was wrong to say. The Holy Spirit goes, you shouldn't have said that. 
Oh, no, I got to get right in front of all these people. Though, as a born-again Christian, I can still sin, God still loves me as before. God has not changed. We're to judge ourselves, we're to confess our sins, we're to be restored to fellowship so that we can uh, spare ourselves from further discipline because as as a good child of God, as a good parent, God will discipline us as a child. Troy, come on up. Come on up. This is my only son, Troy. Troy's not always been a perfect child. <laughs> Let me confess a few of his sins. No, I won't. <laughs> this is my little baby boy. Thousand baby boy. Troy's 51 years old now. I'm 71. Right? You're 52 now? I don't know. <laughs> Time flies. Troy could sin. I'm going to be over here. When, when I say the word sin, move over that way. Troy could sin, and he could sin, and he could violate our fellowship. And he could sin. Is he still my son? Come on. There's no amount of sin that he could do that the genetics between us would be changed. You can go down. Thank you. There is no amount of sin that you can do against God once you've been born with his genetics that you can change those genetics. You'll separate your fellowship, but you'll not separate who you are, which is a child of the living God. Based on grace, not works. You need to make God's basis of forgiveness your basis of acceptance. Please allow yourself to be accepted in the beloved. When we see ourselves as worthless sinners, we humbly come to Jesus for rescue. We find peace. Romans 4, 5. Woo! But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. There's that word again. His faith, his faith, his faith is counted for righteousness. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith, of, basically faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that so we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's what the Bible says. Titus 3, 5 again says, Not but works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Most believers make the mistake of reasoning from them to God. If things are going well, God is, God is happy with me. I'm blessed. I'm accepted. 
If things are going poorly in my life, God is upset with me, and I'm not accepted. Now, you know you've reasoned that way. That's reasoning from you to God. When we should be reasoning from God to us, period. We have a position, or if I may say it this way, a positional security with a practical application. You and I, as born-again believers, are not on probation. But many many born-again believers live as if they're on probation. But when he saved you, he meant what he did. He knew you, but he knew, the Bible says, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows the beginning and the ending. And he knew what he was getting into when he drew you with the Holy Spirit and wanted you to be his child. And God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That means he draws everybody. And that's why he can say, whosoever will may come. He knows what he's getting into. Once grace once bestowed is grace given. And no offense meant, but God's not an Indian giver. No offense meant against the Indians. I'm part Indian, so I can say that. God knew who you were before you got saved. He knew your weaknesses and your totally lifelong sinfulness. Did you get that? Lifelong. Brother Calvert preached on Wednesday night, and he said he was his old man's not gotten a bit better since he got saved. And neither is mine, brother. In fact, to be honest with you, I think he's gotten a little worse if there's such a thing. The old man, when we get born from above, the Holy Spirit comes in and we have our new nature, but it shares this body with the old nature. So now I got two people living here. I got the old man and the new man. That's what the Bible calls it, the old man, new man. And the distance between those two seems to be really short. I can get into the old man and in the flesh in sin, and then, I, oh, that's wrong. I confess it's wrong. What does the Bible mean in 1 John 1, 1 John 1, 9 when it says confess your sins? It simply means agree with God that what you did is wrong. God says you're, you're, it's over. That's the practical part of our salvation, not the positional part. The Father's action, when we got saved, was independent of your failures, your sins, and your weaknesses, and he was fully informed ahead of time. And when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, say it a lot of different ways. You repented, you believed, you put faith in him. Say it any way you want. It's said all different kinds of ways in the New Testament, but it's basically with your wholehearted belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day. You believe that? You're in the beloved. You've been placed in the beloved. He accepts you. William Newell, which is a good good commentator, William Newell, he says, to believe and consent to be loved while unworthy is the great secret. You wouldn't think it'd be a secret to consent to be loved. So here's God's order. Blessing first, devotion second. You get saved first, and you begin to grow. 
You don't grow and get saved. God's order is you get saved first, and you begin to grow. He saved me, then he asked me to serve him. He accepted me, then he asked me to perform according to my new nature. Man's order is this. Man's order is devotion first and blessing second. And most world religions, in fact, 95% of the world's religions out there are in this order. You work your way to a place of acceptance to God, and then he may or may not accept you, possibly, maybe, could be, would be, should be. Don't know. Never know. It's based on fear. Most religions depend on fear to keep their disciples in line. Christianity depends on love to motivate and create devotion. Gratitude is a great motivator. What motivates me to keep on keeping on? Gratitude. Fear, if you're afraid, oh, God's going to strike me dead. God's going to do this. God. If you're always in fear and in a performance-based, and you believe the only way you can get God's attention is through performance, then you eventually you, it, it makes you numb. Love, and on, and on the other hand, uh, grows stronger and feeds on itself. The longer I know him, the sweeter he becomes. The more that I serve him, the more that you have fellowship with God, the love of God feeds on itself and motivates you to higher ground. You say, well, Brother Bill, doesn't this give people, they get saved and live, what, live, like, the, live like they want to live? If they really get saved, they don't want to live like, they, like that. The Holy Spirit in you is not going to let you go. Hey, when I lived under my dad's roof, I did what my dad asked me to do. He didn't let me go. Well, I'm going to do this, going to do that. He said, no, son, you're not. You're going to do what I tell you. Read, read Hebrews chapter 12, the disciplinary part of being a child of God. God says, now that you're mine, I want you to live right and do right. And you know all that's all through the scripture. But when we decide not to do that, God in love begins to convict us of our sin. And if you won't respond to conviction, he begins to bring things into your life as, as punishment, and even to the place of Ananias and Sapphira where he could terminate certain children that just become and continue to rebellious, but he never would send them to hell because they've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and they're accepted in the beloved and their genetics are of God and they'll go to heaven and they'll suffer great loss at the judgment seat of Christ and they'll suffer great shame in front of Jesus Christ and all those that are there, the great cloud of witnesses, and they'll wish that they had lived for God, but that does not change their position in Christ. What? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Give you a quote by a man that I didn't ever heard of before. He's got a great quote. He said, those who have the deepest appreciation for grace do not continue in sin. Moreover, fear produces the obedience of slaves, while love generates the obedience of sons. I don't serve God out of fear. 
I serve God out of gratitude, out of love. Our standing in Christ is foundational to our personal stability. If one feels that God is always mad at him, and his future position is in jeopardy, there is a constant doubt and fear with an eventual discouragement. There's a group of Christians believe that they can, they're held in the beloved because of performance, and if they don't perform right, they're taken out of the beloved, and they call what they call it, losing your salvation, they call it. That makes a mockery of who God is. He knows the beginning and the end. He's the all-powerful one. Well, when God saves you, he knew who you were going to be. Let's put it this way. A Christian life, see if you can watch me on A Christian life starts down here, we get saved. We live for God, oh, we have recession. We live for God a little bit better, we have recession. We live for God, we have recession. We live for God, we have recession. We die and go to heaven. We look at it like that. A Christian life's not one line to heaven or no problems. I've, hey, I've always been obeyed. I've always been the where I should be. No, it's not that way. I wish it could be, but it's not. Well, how does God look at this? We get saved. God sees the beginning and the ending. He sees you in heaven. He sees you saved. He sees you in heaven. Between those two things, he disciplines you. He helps you. He, he beckons you. He encourages you. And he strengthens you to live for him. Eventually, at the end of your life, he brings you before the judgment seat of Christ and, you, and the, you're judged for the things done in the body, whether it be good or bad. But your soul is saved. If one feels that he's accepted into the beloved because of Jesus' righteousness and the blood shed on Calvary, plus nothing, minus nothing, he will prosper and develop gratitude and confidence as a child, not a slave. Jesus said, I call you friends. Servants don't know what their master does, but he says, you, you know what I'm doing. He's giving you this book here, the inside information. You know, to the world, this is a book of mystery. This book has so many mysteries in it, but to a, a, a born-again believer, with this book is open to us to understand, and if you give it enough readings, and if you put your heart into it, God will let you know the secret of the ages, how the world's going to end. Boy, it's good to be saved. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made me he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, if you leave here this morning and say, I'm accepted in the beloved, I can live the way I want to live. I would wonder and be worried about whether you're accepted in the beloved or not. Because people that are accepted in the beloved and have the Holy Spirit normally want to do God's will and are grateful for what he did. But I'm not saying there cannot be an exception once in a while of somebody that you that 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 got born from above that went and lived against God like Ananias and Sapphira, like the incestuous man in 1 Corinthians, like those who abused communion, who God 
literally killed them because they would not respond. He took them home. I believe I've known a handful of people. Is that a handful? No, that's two handfuls. That's one handful and one. I've known a handful of people that have sinned their grace away. That's what we call it. They've been disciplined, 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 disciplined. They didn't respond to it, didn't respond to it, and God supernaturally, one of them ran into a train. Now, most of the time a train runs into you, but he ran into a train, killed him. One guy rolled his car over and broke his neck, killed him. Story after story of unusual circumstances, God took him home, gone. Like that incestuous man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Deliver one such as Satan, so his body is destroyed that his soul may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I'm, people that are born from above, people that understand the grace of God are not arrogant. They're humbled that God would even consider them into his kingdom. Lord God, what would you have me to do is usually the words of people that are saved. What would you have me to do? It's because of grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. We're saved by the grace of God, not by performance. But once we get saved, we're obviously to live for Christ. I hope you got that. But if you've been haunted and if you've been tortured by the devil himself, am I saved or am I not saved? Am I saved or am I not saved? When they saved or am I not saved? Why don't you come and see see me or see Brother Thomas, see Brother Chris, see Bud Calvert, see Tom Crichton. I'm picking on you older guys today. And they'll show you out of the Bible what it means to be saved. I always tell people that struggle about being saved. I had one a few weeks ago come to me and say, I never, I just, I just don't know if I'm saved. And I say, look, let's just pray right now, get saved. You can't get saved more than one time. You don't get saved six times. So I figure whatever you did in the past is the past. How about we pray right now in simple childlike faith, you trust the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You want to be saved. You believe he died. He's a child. You're, he's Christ, the Son of the living God. And you go through all these details, and you come down to the end, and, and, and the person prayed and asked Jesus to save him. I said, now don't you let the devil harass you. You're saved and accepted by the Father because of Jesus into the beloved. Let's pray. Father, help us today to be able to understand the teaching of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. One short verse saying so much of what you've done for us. Oh God, strike from the memory of these people anything I said that's not right. And help them to remember what has been said that is right. Pray, oh God, that you give people peace where they've been tormented. And for believers that are outside of the will of God, may they come back in humble, simple, childlike repentance. Say, God, forgive me for snubbing you and snubbing the great grace of God that you've given me. 
Oh, God, do a great mighty work today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.